Well, we've been uh, working through this uh, series. We just started it last week, actually. And uh, I, suppose, I suppose what we're trying to do is to come to terms uh, with the issue that when we are confronted in, in a real deep way by God, it's not just uh, a simple head knowledge. Uh, can I encourage you, those of you who are still um, working through these questions, those of you who are um, just beginning to come to terms, perhaps, with the Christian faith, to continue that journey. Continue the journey of, of discovering and understanding, but realize uh, that at some point, I'll, say, I'll clarify what I mean by point in a minute, at some point, what we understand is no longer just in here, in our heads. It starts to root down into our lives, into our being. Uh, and I know that for, for many people, uh, there is a, a real moment, an experience, where they know that there is a change, there is a transformation that has gone on. But I also know that that is not the case for everybody. <laughs> not everybody goes through a moment. I, I, I've I've been a believer in Jesus for a lot of years now. But I can't look back and say that's the moment where it all changed. I don't know where it all changed. So you might say, well, how do you know? <laughs> I know now because my life is being rocked and shaped and changed now. I know now because I know God. I don't know about God. I know God. Uh, and that's almost unexplainable. It's a mystery, and yet it's a revealed mystery in knowing Jesus. There's a point at which, somewhere back there, I have come to know him, personally. But I don't know where that moment was. I know that in biblical terms, what that means is that there is a point at which there has been a heavenly declaration that Paul Howell is justified before God. And for every believer in Jesus, there is a point at which, in, in the eternal presence of God, there is a point where is that, there is that justification statement is made. <laughs> Some of us know when that happens, and others of it don't know. So can I encourage you? If you are continuing on that journey, at some point you will realize this is no longer just gathering information. This is now really beginning to change my life. At the point where it's beginning to change your life, can I encourage you then? Uh, I've used this description recently. Don't walk along the fence looking over into the world of belief. When you know that you believe it, Step into the world of belief by accepting Jesus Christ as your saviour and continue the journey of wonder and understanding and the fact that he's going to reshape your life. That is when God starts rocking our being, when God starts rocking our world. Last week, and this is key, I'm going to repeat it every time we come to this subject. Last week we, we realised that God rocks our world when we become worshippers of him. At the very heart, it's about what and who we worship. And all of us are worshippers in some way or another. Uh, let's put it this way. There is something in your life 
that if it was taken away, if, you, if that one thing was taken away, you would feel like saying life isn't worth living. And that's different for all of us in our humanity. But that that you say, if, I, if that's taken away from me, life is not worth living is the thing that you worship. And reaching a point where we're able to say, for all of the things in life which are incredibly precious, incredibly special, incredibly important, I am not, in a sense, saying that they're, I'm not saying they're worthless, not at all. But I am saying that there is a point at which we say, do not take God away from me. Do not take Jesus Christ away from me. Because he is all to me. That is way more important than anything else. In fact, it is knowing that that makes sense of the other things, which we're going to see. We become worshippers. And becoming a worshipper of Jesus Christ makes sense of all sorts of other things. So we're going to look at one of the issues. How can we know that we are worshippers? One of the ways that we, uh, we become worshippers, or the way that it's evident that we are worshippers, is how we deal with particular resources. And the resource that we're going to look at this afternoon is time. It's a great resource, isn't it? Time. Louis Armstrong sang, we have all the time in the world, time enough for life to unfold, all the precious things love has in store. We've got all the time in the world. It's great, isn't it? We've got all the... I know I won't. Um, what a great voice, though. I nearly slipped into the Louis Armstrong voice. No. <laughs> It's Christmas, maybe at Christmas, Gordon. The only thing is, we haven't, have we? We love to think that we've got all the time in the world, but the reality is that we know that we have not got all the time in the world. There are things which are pressing upon us, and we have, wherever it is in the future, we know that we have, a point where it all stops. We know that we do not have all of the time that this world has to offer. We are limited, and therefore, time is a scarce resource. So I want to ask the question this afternoon, what happens when God rocks the way we use that time resource, that precious time resource? We said we become worshippers a minute ago, and now we're talking about time. Well, time is, okay, we're here this afternoon, and we, we might be thinking, I am worshipping God this afternoon during this point in time. Uh, we might be thinking, okay, well, I got here at, you know, whatever it was, half past four, I'm going to leave, you know, six o'clock, whatever it is, seven o'clock, some of us, whenever it is. I, I'm setting this time uh, as worship. But is that what the Bible means when it talks about worship? Is worship this now? Let me read you a verse from Romans. It says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship is to offer our whole being. 
In other words, when we think about worship as New Testament believers, we don't think about worship in terms of the the moments when we gather together and we sing and we pray and we read. That is an aspect of gathered worship for sure. But worshipping God in New Testament terms is when we commit the whole of our being, the whole of our lives, every aspect of our being we give over to God in worship to him. Now do you see how that fits in with the things that we say are so precious to us? Do you see how now that fits in with the scarce resource of time and how we are able to ask the question, if worship is the whole of my life, every bit of me, how do I worship in the use of my time? How can I become a worshiper of God? How can I exercise worshipping God using my time. And also might I suggest to you that what that means is it is a way for us to identify am I a worshipper of God? Not necessarily whether we do it but whether my heart is inclined towards it. Is my heart inclined to worship God through the use of my time. Here we've got, um, in our reading this afternoon, we've got two perspectives uh, of using time. Here's our first perspective. Well, let's, let's begin by understanding how the story unfolds from um, Luke chapter 10. Uh, we've got this religious leader who comes up to Jesus and he asks him the key question, really, Uh, And I guess it's a question that all of us, it's absolutely essential for us to ask that question and really grapple with it and really come to terms with it. He asks the question, what must I do to gain eternal life? He was a religious leader. He knew that life now was not all it is. There is more. There is the potential of eternal life in God. And he asks the question, how am I going to gain it? So Jesus asks him in response, he basically says this. You know what the Bible says. For him, that was the Old Testament law. So you know what the law says. What does it say? Uh, And what had happened over the time, the the various teachers, the various rabbis, had taken the writing of the Bible, and they'd thought about it, and they'd considered it, uh, and they'd come up with, as they'd they'd worked through it, this, if you like, this summary, this golden rule, for, for how to live to gain eternal life. And they'd taken two verses, Je- Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, Leviticus 19, verse 18. Uh, and they brought those together and they'd said, well, actually, everything that the Old Testament law is captured in this. It's captured, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's Deuteronomy love the Lord your God, and it's Leviticus, love your neighbor. In other words, they're saying, actually, if we are transformed, if we are reshaped by the power and the impact of God in our lives, that will be the evidence. We will love the Lord God, uh, and, we will ha- and that will wash out to an impact to our neighbors. You know, it's, it's not in isolation. <laughs> we, can't just, we, can't, we can't love God without it impacting here, now. Loving God is so life-transforming 
that it will change the way we relate to each other. It will change our attitudes. It will change uh, our, our, our attitudes, as, he, as it says here, to our neighbours. So he says, right, okay. Right. Well, what does, let me just clarify this. Let me just um, make sure I've got this right. I, I want eternal life, and therefore, I, I need to just be clear who's my neighbours. Can, can we just agree on that? Who are my neighbours? As I've expressed it like that, does that sound a little bit concerning? Does that kind of start to get to a, a, a flavour of why that question is a little bit concerning? We actually read it, don't we? He asks Jesus, who is my neighbour? And you can see it there because he wanted to justify himself. His attitude is this, okay, I hear that. Now, I want to make sure that I do just enough. I don't want this to be life-changing. I want to do enough just to be across the line. I don't want it to be so life-transforming. I just want to qualify. I want to justify myself. So Jesus tells him a story. And the story goes like this, and many of us will know the story if you haven't heard the story before. There's a man who goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it's a uh, well-known, a journey which was well known at the time as being a dangerous journey. It was a rugged, relatively desolate uh, pathway, and it was the kind of terrain which allowed for robbers to easily ambush those who were making that journey. And so Jesus tells this story, and he tells a story using imagery which would just trigger in the minds of the hearer. Uh, You know, it's a bit like, um, no, no, you won't know parts of Liverpool, but I could tell you kind of if you're traveling from this place in Liverpool to another place in Liverpool, it'd be a bit like that. You're kind of running the rat race. Don't do that journey after 11 o'clock at night. It's the kind of story. And so he's on this journey, this man, and... um, As he's going along, he's attacked by robbers, and uh, he's left for dead. Two people come along. In other words, he's saying to the man, two people who are religiously in tune, you would think. Priest and a Levite. Priest, obviously we know a Levite is somebody who's set aside to work in the temple. Priest and a Levite, two people who, in religious terms, you would look on and you would say, well, they're, surely they're, they're okay. They're all right. Surely. Uh, and they pass by. They just, they just leave the man. They don't do anything. Uh, and then we see that this next man comes along and his time is disrupted. Look at what he does. He goes over to the man. He healed, He tends to his wounds. Puts him on a donkey. Takes a journey. Takes him to an inn. Stays with him overnight. And then dips his hand in his pocket. Uh, and provides for him. At that moment in time. He's got a journey to do hasn't he? He's got a plan that he has to meet, one would presume. He's got something that he knows is going on, and yet at that moment in time, he is presented with something which is a need, and his time is disrupted. 
And so he goes away and, and does all of the things. And then Jesus rocks this man by saying, and now, listen, the first two were the religious elite, the people who you would think are the ones who are in, in the frame for doing it the right way and the ones who are certainly in the frame for being accepted into the kingdom of heaven. But look, the person who is in tune is precisely the one who you don't expect to be because he's a Samaritan. In other words, he is turned around. Let, now look at this. Here's a description. Here's a clear picture. You want to define who your neighbor is? You want to define who it is that you should be therefore considering? It should be everybody, the people who you least expect. In other words, for us today, if we want to take it onto our application today, what happens when God is rocking our world? Our attitudes are changed towards the people around us so that those who we would not expect in natural social circles to be concerned about become a concern for us. That's it. People who we would not by nature immediately seem to have time critical resource spent on, we spend time on them when we're faced with the need. Our neighbors are not the people, therefore, who we, well, they are, obviously, our family, our friends, the people who we get on with, the people who, who do the same stuff as us, the people who we, they are all of our neighbors, but then we'd expect to be uh, spending resource on those, wouldn't we? But no, this is spending resource on those who are least expected. I think that is tremendously challenging, isn't it? How do we know when God is rocking our world? When our attitude towards our time is no longer reserved for those who fit the mold. When suddenly things in life present themselves where we are transformed in our thinking so that we do get involved, so that we do commit that precious uh, limited time to those who we by nature wouldn't so that's one story the next one I think is even more interesting because it carries on with the issue of time I think next we move to um, two sisters who Jesus uh, knows well and um, Jesus arrives at their home and one of them is preparing a, a meal Martha is preparing a meal. She's, you know, hot under the collar. Quite frustrated. A bit bothered, actually, because her sister Mary is just sat at the feet of Jesus. Just listening. Can't you tell her to come and do something? You know, I'm doing all the work here. I'm the one who's doing all the work. Can't you tell her to come and you know, get involved and do something? Look at what Jesus says. Martha, Martha. I love that. Uh, it's as though Jesus is uh, gently and yet at the same time with a degree of authority showing affection and at the same time wanting to be really clear. You know, there's a relationship here with us, Martha. I know that there is, I know that Lazarus, your brother, and Mary and Martha, and, and we go back, don't we? Go back in time, and uh, and we get on well. And but you know what, Martha, Martha, just stop, just stop, listen to me. 
You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Look at the way the two of them are spending their time compared to what has gone before. There is never a point in the Bible, particularly in the Gospels, where the flow of what is being said is just a a kind of jumble of ideas thrown together. Look at what's happening. The previous example is somebody who serves, who gives time. This one is somebody who is serving in contrast to somebody who is sitting. Isn't that interesting? The previous one was saying, you know, don't just sit there, do something. The next one is, actually, there is a time to sit. There is a time to Now, the relationship with Jesus Christ, being there at that moment in time, sat at the feet of Jesus, building relationship, creating relationship, forming trust, is absolutely the one thing that is needed, Jesus is saying. In other words, what he's saying is this, and this is quite surprising. The one who is doing is not the one who is worshipping. The one who is not doing is the one who is actually worshipping. Now I think that's remarkable in the light of what has just been said. In, in In the Samaritan story where the one who is doing is the one who is worshipping. What it's saying is this. Just doing by definition is not worship. It's where it's coming from. It's where it's coming from. You see, Martha uh, Martha was there and she's doing and she's she's frustrated. She's not serving. She's not honoring. She's, She's doing it with frustration. Tell her to come and do it. Tell her to come and get involved, would you? And yet here we have Mary who is sat quietly and is a worshipper in the use of her time. The question I ask is this, how can we, how can we understand that therefore? How can we move to a point where we are beginning to see that our time, a precious resource, a limited resource, can be used effectively And can be used destructively. First thing that we see is this. And think about this in this way. Let me just give you a few scenarios. Be honest with yourself. How many times in church life. Have you looked on at somebody else. And you've thought you know what I'm doing it all here. I'm doing it all here. He, she, they're not doing anything. And there is a sense of frustration. You know, I'm I'm giving my time. And they're not giving their time. 
And I would suggest at that very moment in time, we're, we're, in the, we're in the world of Martha. We're in the world where our doing is not a point of worship. The time that we're giving is not a point of worship. It's a point of service which demands results. It demands results of God and it demands results of others. It works like this. Look at what I'm doing. Therefore, God, shouldn't you accept what I'm doing? And therefore, everybody else, shouldn't you be like me? Shouldn't you be like me? What I am doing has been stripped then of any worship. It's no longer the Good Samaritan. It's Martha. Do you see, friends, if you're thinking that the Christian life is about what we do and about therefore doing all of the things that are acceptable, do you see how it isn't? Here's somebody who's in relationship with Jesus Christ. She, she is a believer in that transitional time where Martha is a believer in Jesus. And yet Jesus is showing that even when you are doing things for him, it might be that you are not doing them in worship. You, you might not be doing them in worship. And therefore it says to us that, that if you think that the Christian faith is all about doing things and, and being acceptable, that's not it. It's about when you've been so changed by God that you spontaneously are doing things differently. Where you are wanting to do things. And it's not so that everybody else will follow you. It's not so that God will look at you and say, haven't you done a good thing? Thanks very much, Martha. You've done a good thing. I accept your service. You are now acceptable to me because you've made me a meal. No, not at all. That is not where we are in the Christian faith. Our time is not given in that way. As a kind of stranglehold on God and everybody else to demand. Rather we say, I have come to know Jesus. And therefore, things have changed. Secondly, it says this. Mary has realized something that I think probably more than pretty much any society in the history of this world uh, has, has ever had to face that stillness with God is a precious thing. Stillness with Jesus Christ is a precious thing. We live, don't we, at breakneck pace. I was thinking about this this week. I was thinking about how it, how it used to be, you know. I've got that stay. I'm sorry. I've reached that age now where I talk about how it used to be. In the days before mobile phones and, and text messages and Facebook and Twitter and, and email and all of that kind of thing. In de, in the de, in back in the olden days, as I think somebody once described them to me, somebody a lot younger than me. In the olden days, before those kind of things, we... we plan a journey and uh, if we didn't make it in the time people would just have to live with it it was it would it was really strikingly made clear to me when my friend Shweeki chatted to me about how he would plan to go to visit another village and uh, it, you know I, I, I'd try and be there for well give or take a day you know, it's about the time I'm arriving. It, we, we talk in terms of half an hour each way. 
He talks in, the term, in terms of a day and a half each way. How long are you staying? Oh, I might stay an hour, two hours, three hours. Well, I might stay two days, might stay three days. You know, kind of culturally moving that kind of idea into our country is quite interesting. Shweeki, it's great to hear from you. When are you going to come and visit? Oh, well, it might be, um, not sure it might be Tuesday or it might be Wednesday. You know, somewhere in there. Oh, okay, great. Which one is it? How long are you staying? Well, um, might be a week. Might be three days, you know, somewhere, somewhere in between that time. What do you do with that? It's great. But isn't it so challenging compared to where we are today? We live in a world where we feel, don't we, as though time has to be managed and handled and, and carefully controlled And we live giving no space for what the Bible says to be still and know that I am God. It's one of the Psalms says. Psalm 39. Do we live with a relationship where God has so shaped us, so rattled us, that we are in our attitudes, we are saying this, I no longer live as though I am in control of time. I live with a peace that I can spend time still, quiet, pondering, thinking, considering, prayerful, in relationship with you, where I know that you are the author of time. I know that you are the controller of time. I do not have to control it. Rather, I have to control myself to be still for a while. Now, we don't think like that, do we? And and I would suggest that maybe that is one of the things that we as a as a company of God's people, need to commit ourselves to more and more. We need to be more like Mary. We need to be more sat at the feet of Jesus. How do we do that? Quietly thinking. If you read what David says in the Psalms again and again and again and again, he says, do you know what? I just delight in your word. I'm going to just sit down. I'm going to read a bit. I'm going to pray. I'm just going to think. I'm going to stop the world for a while. Now, faith says that that is worthwhile. An attitude which says that I control my time says that that is not worthwhile. You might be sat here thinking, that is a really strange thing to do. Why would you ever want to just stop? After all, if we have got only a limited amount of time, Don't you want to make sure that you use it to the best? The simple answer is this. If we live thinking that this world's time is all that we've got, then we'll live trying to cram everything in. But if we live in the knowledge that time eternal is ours... What happens in these few years, what we fit into this time, is nowhere near as important as we think it is. 
But what Jesus says is important. There is one thing that is necessary with the time that we have got. And that is to make sure that we are building relationship, that we are opening up, that we are calm, that we are still, that we are quiet, and that we are allowing God to speak to us, to deal with us, to to challenge us, to encourage us, to quietly sit before him. And then we are able to say, and when that is right, I've got eternity. Louis Armstrong got all the time in the world. That is such a limited view. (laughs) That is just so limited. The Christian can say all the time in the world, is that all? Is that all the time you've got? Just the time in this world? Do you know what? I've got all the time in eternity. I've got all the time in eternity. You can't even put a number on it. And therefore, why, oh why, oh why, oh why am I living as if this is everything? As this, I've got to cram everything in. I've got to do everything. I've got to fit everything in. I think one of the reasons is because we think that now is better than there. What's on offer now is better than what's to come. We've had some fantastic discussions on a Monday evening around this. I think there's a kind of, I think absolutely there is a cultural view that life here in this world is the exciting bit and then eternity is about sitting on a cloud with a harp. And I'll be honest with you, if it's sitting on a cloud with a harp, I don't want it. I'm not interested. I don't want to do that. It's actually the reverse. Everything that is to come is way more exciting, way more fulfilling, way more satisfying than anything that we ever experience in this world now. Therefore, the things that we find fulfilling, the things that we do and that we find fulfilling, they're just a little kind of taste of what's to come in the doing that is to come, the activity that is to come in eternity. And therefore, the thing that I think I have, which is so precious, time, suddenly becomes something that I can let go of. Because I've got plenty to come. And it's going to be so much better. Oh, and by the way, the time that I've got is only what's ever given to me by God in the first place anyway. It's only whatever he gives me. There's a verse in Daniel where one of the great leaders who's living his life to the full, Belteshazzar, he's got a great feast and everything is kicking off and it's all amazing, all fantastic. And in a moment there's writing on the wall. And it says this. Effectively it says this. Your days are numbered you think you've got it all and you haven't we think we've got it all now and we haven't 
Therefore, use what we have to make sure that our relationship with God, as Mary found out, quietly before him, is securing us to make sure that we have it all for eternity. Because what she has found is this. At the feet of Jesus is the most satisfying place in the whole world. And doing stuff for eternity at the feet of Jesus in a new heaven and in a new earth is going to be the most satisfying place that we could ever imagine. Resource. Are we worshipping like that? Have we let go of the idea that time is everything that I've got now and it's mine to have and use? Are we going to use our time as though it's been given to us by God to worship him through serving, yes, but as Mary sees, through knowing him now.